You are listening to our Southside Baptist Church podcast. For more audio content, please refer to our website, thisisbaptistchurch.com. Amen. I want you to remain standing and I want you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Philippians. Philippians, Philippians chapter 2. And we're going to be looking at a passage today that in the early church was a hymn. You know, one of the things that I've discovered about worship is that unlike a sermon, the lyrics, the songs that we sing, these words, these lyrics stay with us. How many of you wake up in the morning, you wake up with a song on your lip? I tell you, that is a great thing. I love that. Sometimes these lyrics, sometimes these songs will stay with me and I will actually wake up in the morning, um, you know, singing these songs with these songs on on my, on my mind and coming out of my lips. Well, anyway, Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 5, and if you're there, say amen. Your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ. Now let me read that again. Your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself, in the NIV, nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, that's a kind word, the word doulos, taking the very nature of a slave in the Greek, being made in, the, in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray again. Lord, we thank you, and we give you all the glory, and we praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. I've titled this message today, The Fulfillment of a Servant Heart, and I think the power of a, of a servant heart. How many of you have seen the movie? Uh, it's been out for several years uh, called Groundhog Day. Anybody seen that? Groundhog Day. Uh, Bill Murray, Bill Murray stars in that movie. And, and Bill Murray is kind of a narcissistic, self-centered, arrogant weatherman who has been sent to cover Groundhog's Day there in, what is it, Poxitani or Poxitani, Pennsylvania. And he ends up, Bill Murray, who plays this weatherman, he ends up every day waking up to Groundhog's Day. I mean, every morning that song comes on, it's 6 a.m., the alarm clock goes off, and he wakes up every day living Groundhog's Day. And, and it's interesting because as he relives this day, it, first of all, when he first begins to discover that he endlessly can live this day, he just throws caution to the wind. He just eats whatever he wants to eat. 
drinks whatever he wants to drink. He just lives an immoral, ungodly life. He's sexually promiscuous. He uses the information that he gathers from a day to meet women and to do this and to do that. And he just lives the life just completely absorbed in himself. In himself. There's a woman, and she's part of the team, and it's played by Andy McDowell, and she's a beautiful woman, and she's his opposite. I mean, she is just the epitome of an outward life. She is a kind, a gentle person, and he's enamored with her. And for a while, he uses the information that he's gaining, trying to get the upper hand, basically what he's trying to do. It's to get her in bed. But she's a woman of integrity and she's not easily bought, not easily swayed. And so one day in a conversation as he is in this character of this weatherman, he looks at her and he begins to tell her that he's like God. And he begins to tell her predictions. They're sitting in a restaurant. He said they're getting ready to drop a, a plate. This person's getting ready to call. This person's getting ready to do this. The guy that's part of our team's getting ready to come up, and he's going to say these words. And he's just, he's telling her all this, and he can't figure out why he's reliving Groundhog's Day over and over again. And finally she says to him, maybe it's not about you. Maybe it's about you discovering something that is trying to be taught to you. And he ends up changing his life. And he gets up that day and he begins to invest and pour his life out in service to other people, saving a little boy that falls out of a tree, saving a man in a restaurant who's choking on a piece of steak, changing a tire of th three women broken down on the side of the road. And one of them is that he tries to save a homeless man. The homeless man dies on the night of Groundhog's Day. And he thinks, if I can just pour into this man, feed him and take care of him, but he endlessly, repeatedly dies. And it's like Bill Murray gets angry because he thinks that he can even change that, but he can't. But he learns something, and he learns something that Paul is trying to teach you and I. He's talking to you and I about the key to life. You know, Jesus said this. He said, it is more blessed to give than receive. I think it's in Acts 20, verse 35. It's in the red letter. Paul is saying in the book of Acts, Luke is writing these words that Jesus said, you and I are happier when our life is invested into the lives of other people. We find fulfillment. But it all starts with an attitude. Let me read to you what attitude, defining attitude. The word attitude is defined, listen to this, as a settled way of thinking or feeling about someone or something. Typically, an attitude is reflected in a, per, a person's behavior, how they live out their life. But let me read that again. A settled way of thinking, a thought process. It's the cognitive control center of your life. You and I need 
a Christ-like attitude. Let me, let me give you something. Let me give you, give you a question, and this may hurt. Is your attitude right now, if you've got a bad attitude, is your bad attitude, listen, a brief interruption in your life, or has it become a way of life? Every one of us at times will have a bad attitude. You get up some days, you're just not in a good mood. You're a little bit foul, a little bit short, a little bit caustic. And you find yourself repeatedly apologizing, saying, I'm sorry, I know that didn't come out right. I'm sorry that I did that. Sometimes a bad attitude is a brief interruption in our life. But I've met people who have a bad attitude about life, and they are a walking bad attitude and people don't want to be around them. And let me tell you something, that does not jive, that does not work very well when you call yourself Christian. So here, the Apostle Paul to the church at Philippi, he's in, hey listen, he's in prison. And the theme of this book is joy. And he's writing to this church at Philippi who has sent a gift to him while he's in prison by a man by the name of Epaphroditus who nearly dies in the process of bringing Paul provisions while he's in prison. And so Paul is writing this letter to this church while he is in prison. And one of the things that he says, and I wrote this down, an attitude that is Christ-like is self-effacing. What does it mean to be self-effacing? It means not claiming any attention for yourself. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm married to a person who has a servant heart. I can't begin to tell you how she serves people every day. I can't begin to tell you the amount of love and time and attention that goes in just the meal we will eat. We will eat in a little while. I can't tell you the time and attention that goes to that right there because she wants you to be able to be reminded of what Christmas is all about. There are people in this room, they just, there's some of you in this room, you just have a servant heart. You get up at three o'clock in the morning, you work all day, and then you come and you serve soup and you, and you, and you, and you make soup and you serve people. I watched two little boys, two boys, 11 and 12 years old, last Wednesday night stand out here with the bowl they had gotten to go and they were reaching literally with their spoon down in there with their hands and they ate every drop of that soup and they returned to their life in a tent. Let me ask you something. Is your attitude not good because you have given up serving for Christ? You see, an attitude that is Christ-like is self-effacing. You know what Jesus said in, in the Gospel of Luke, Luke 9, 23? He said, listen, if any man or woman is going to follow me, the first thing you and I have to do in order to have a right attitude, a right mind, we have to deny ourselves. Self-effacing. I'm not important. It's about other people. You ever meet those kind of people? They're just refreshing. 
The verb here in the Greek is phroneo. It's the idea of having an understanding or to filling or to, or to think like Christ. Let me ask you something. Do you think like Christ? Do you ask yourself, I wonder what Jesus would do in this situation, what Jesus would say? Do you think like Christ? Do you have the mind of Christ? Listen, if you and I are filled with the Holy Spirit, we have the mind of Christ. Let me just say that. If you and I are filled with the Holy Spirit, we have the mind of Christ. And so what Paul is saying to the church at Philippi, he's saying, listen, it is all about attitude, and you and I should have the attitude of Christ. And the attitude of Christ is, first of all, God, watch what he says here. He said, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself what? What did he make himself? He made himself nothing. You know, there's a lot of theology here. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, the triune God. Jesus said this, he said, he that has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. Shema Israel, Shema, listen, Israel, Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Ahad, the Hebrew, is the hero Israel, the Lord thy God, is one God. But the picture of God is this, God is Emmanuel. What does the word Emmanuel mean? It means that our creator puts on our flesh, steps into his creation to do what only he can do. Let me read something. This is a book. It's called Christ Among Other Gods. It's written by Erwin Lutzer, a great writer. I always remember, I always laugh about this book because I was on a flight, my family and I, from, from, uh, from, Jack, from Memphis to London, and we're on, the, well, no, we're on uh, Memphis to Amsterdam, yeah. And I was with Adrian Rogers, and he and I stayed up to 1.30 in the morning talking. And at one point, I recommended this book, and then he just sat there. He was real sweet. And then finally, I laughed. I said, wait a minute. You wrote the preface to the book. But anyway, listen to what Erwin Lutzer says. He calls this chapter an extraordinary birth. He said, you probably saw this heartbreaking story. You've heard me tell this before. This heartbreaking story in your local newspaper, a grandmother was taking care of her two-year-old granddaughter when the little girl fell into the swimming pool. Although the grandmother did not know how to swim, she hopped into the water in a desperate effort to save the child. Hours later, both bodies were found at the bottom of the pool. He went on to say this, when you're drowning... You need help from someone who, meet, who meets two requirements. First, he must be willing to rescue you, but that in itself will not do. Secondly, the person must be able to rescue you. You will not be brought to the shore successfully by someone who himself is going under. Only a person who has mastered the water, a person who is in control of his immediate surroundings can become a savior. A rescuer cannot be a person who himself needs to be rescued. The Bible teaches and our experience confirms that we are sinners 
And as a race, we are separated from our Creator God. Our own efforts at self-transformation might improve our lifestyle and even our attitude, but fundamentally, we are left unchanged. Our greatest need, listen to this, is to be forgiven, to be reconciled to God, to be rescued from the present tyranny and future consequences of our sin, and for that we need a Savior. And he basically said this, we need a Savior who is willing and who is able. And there has only been one, and his name was Jesus. When Jesus is born, this scene here, Yesterday, Sheila and I came here, and, and we were fixing this up, and I put, that, put the baby Jesus, and I guess this is Joseph and Mary, and the central theme of that, of that, uh, of that picture there is Christ. But when God invades his creation, it is a search and rescue operation. That child eventually grows up and three and a half years changes the course of history. He only wrote in the dust. He never wrote a word. No TV, no radio, nothing. And yet he changed the course of history. That's why, that's why we stand separate from all the religions of the world. You see, Christmas is a search and rescue operation. I've preached on that. Jesus, God here, is willing and he's able. Alexander McLaren said this, Our Lord's example is set forth as the pattern of that unselfish disregard of one's own life and interest, and instead it's a devotion to the life and the interest of others. It's a powerful truth, McLaren went on to say. The truth is that the incarnation life and death of Jesus Christ is the greatest example in history of living humility and self-sacrifice. It's about God stepping out of heaven into his creation. And that's powerful. Mark Twain published a book, The Prince and the Pauper. Anybody read it? The Prince and the Pauper is, a, is an interesting story, and it's his, it's his first attempt toward historical fiction. He tells the story of a young boy by the name of Tom Canty. He's a pauper. He's a poor boy. He's being raised by an abusive alcoholic father. And one day, he stumbles on royalty. He meets Edward Tudor, who is the Prince of Wales and the son of Henry VIII. They look exactly alike. And so Tom and Edward decide they'll trade places. Edward will become the pauper. He will be raised by an abusive alcoholic father in, in poverty, while at the same time Tom takes on his role as monarch, as a, as a son of the monarch, as the son of the king, Henry VIII. Prince of Wales, they trade places. Let me tell you something. Do you know what Jesus Christ did for you and I? We were the paupers, he was the prince, and he traded places. That's powerful. I don't know how many of you remember. Dwayne, you may remember this. In 1976, you, were no, you remember the 
uh, governor of Mississippi was? You remember a man by the name of Cliff Finch? Do you remember what was so unique? Cliff Finch was the Democratic nominee who became the governor of Mississippi. I don't know how many of you remember this. Do you know how Cliff Finch won the governorship of this state? When he was, when he was actually campaigning, he called himself a governor for the working man, for the common man. And I'll never forget one day, Cliff Finch was at the end, and back in those days when you had that, he was bagging, sacking groceries. Here's a man running for the governor, he's sacking groceries. And guess what? You know what I did for years? I sacked groceries. You know what he was doing? He was identifying with me. And this is what Paul is saying here. In verse 6 he says, Who being in the very nature, Christ did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing. He took upon himself the nature and the form of a slave. In other words, what I've told you so many times, as Simon Janus said, Mwadi akafeka bunyama. What is Christmas? It is God wrapping himself in the flesh of man, being born into his creation to do what only he could do. That's it. I remember one time speaking in a board of directors meeting. And these men and women were sitting there. They had a lot of business. They had the laptops in front of them. And I began to tell them that story about Mwadi Akafeka Munyama, God putting on the flesh of man, God stepping into his creation. And all of a sudden I told them about Hassan, that Muslim that I had an opportunity to share Christ with in England. And I looked at him and I said, if I bought you a Bible, a Muslim, would you read it? I gave him a Turkish New Testament. He read it in two days. And I'll never forget, I went back and I looked at Hassan, this Muslim who had just finished the New Testament and reading it in two days. And I said, Hassan, I said, if God, the creator, were to invade his creation and to fix what only he can fix, what historical figure would he look like? I said, Muhammad, and he said, no. He said he would look like Jesus. And he said, you come back next Tuesday. I went back that next Tuesday into this prominent, nice British restaurant where people in the business world would pack in there at lunchtime. I walked in, Hassan came out of the kitchen, big kitchen. He waved me back into that kitchen. It was filled with Muslim men from London who had come down to hear this message, the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. We never look more like Jesus than when we stoop down and make ourselves nothing and deny ourselves and then take on the form of a slave or a servant. Gene Henderson, who pastored First Baptist Church Brandon for nearly 20 years, I always remember this. That church was booming in growth. Three up to four services, one behind the other, one behind the other. This is Chip Henderson's dad. You want to guess where Chip, I mean, you want to guess where Gene Henderson parked his vehicle? He parked it way over on the other side of the school, back up in the woods. I mean, as far as he could, because he wanted to make sure that everybody had a place. Moms could get close to the church. People, senior adults could get close. He wanted to make sure that he had that servant heart, and he proved it by where he parked his vehicle. 
You and I never look more like Jesus than when we have an attitude that diminishes our worth, our value. We're self-effacing, we're denying ourselves, and instead we're invested into the lives of other people. We never look more like that. I remember years ago, our homeless ministry, our homeless meal, I think it was Christmas. We had had, listen, we had this place down here packed. Homeless men and women were everywhere. At the end of it, when it's all said and done, and this was a time when I did a lot of it myself, I went into the men's bathroom and the toilet was stopped up. My friend, it had been used over and over and over again. It was packed full. You can only imagine. And I thought to myself, God, what am I going to do? And I want you to know I had to literally, I had to clean out that toilet. I had to get it word flush. I was sitting there gagging, trying to keep from throwing up over and over again, trying to get that toilet to flush, cleaning out, scooping out, and literally just gagging all along the way. But in that moment, I thought to myself, I probably look a lot like Jesus. And I thought about him washing the feet of his disciples. You and I never look more like him. Oh, by the way, I learned my lesson since then. I asked Alan to oversee the bathrooms. <laughs> Alan's got such a servant heart. I said, Alan, would you, uh, you know, yeah, Brother Jeff. And, and uh, thank you, Alan. There's a lot of people in this church that serve the Lord. Secondly, and this is the last point, you know, a, an attitude that is like Jesus is self-effacing. We deny ourselves. We pour out and invest our lives in the lives of other people. That's what we do. That's who we are. It's our nature because we're filled with Christ. We have the mind of Christ. But let me tell you what you and I have to do. We have to empty ourselves. You know, that's what the Bible says. In Philippians, it says this. It says that he made himself nothing but the picture there is, in the word, is he emptied himself. In fact, your translation may say that. A Christ-like attitude requires you and I emptying. Let me read this to you. To empty means to loosen your grip on a position or possessions. You see, for you and I to be used by Christ, we have to, God has to loosen our grip on some of the things that we value. But our problem is, is we want to hang on to the temporal even if it costs us the eternal. You remember the rich young ruler? The rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he said, Lord, what must I do to enter the kingdom of heaven? And you know what Jesus said? He told him, obey the commandments. He said, all these I've kept from my youth. He said, well, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have, come and follow me. You know what the rich young ruler did? He couldn't do it. He literally couldn't do it. He walked away. Think about it. The rich young ruler said he couldn't, give, he couldn't let go of it. He couldn't give up his stuff. And he walks away. Let me read that thing again. The problem is we want to hang on to the temporal even if it costs us the eternal. Much of our life is spent with God emptying us. God can't fill us until he empties us. And sometimes God is in the process of taking things out of our life in order to make us an empty vessel so that he can begin to put some things back into us. 
man went down in a, in a, in a revival. He came down to the front. And for some reason, it's hard to preach today. I don't know what it is. But listen these last few minutes and I'll let you go. In fact, if I were the devil, I would have attacked this sermon because the reality is, the reality is this. Most of the damage done today to the lost is done by Christians who have a poor attitude. So if I was going to show up at a service and botch it up, I would probably attack a service like this because the danger is, is that you and I pray and ask God to examine our attitude and begin to say, Christ, I want your attitude, your mind, and Lord, I've had a bad attitude. There's some things that need to change. But you see, for you and I to be a vessel of God, to be used by God, we have to be emptied. And sometimes that's painful. God is sometimes taking some things out of your life and out of my life that I can tell you one thing, it's surgery, it hurts. Holiness hurts. There's sometimes I behave and act and do things, say things, and I go, where did that come from? My God, forgive me. He can't fill a vessel that is already full. And he can't fill a vessel with the stuff that he wants if there's stuff in there that he doesn't want. A man came down during a revival. He came down to the altar and he cried out. He said, Lord God, fill me. His wife stood up and said, don't. He leaks. The reality is, is that you and I leak. That's why we have to constantly be filled with the Holy Spirit. God is emptying you and I. God is taking away that selfish, self-centered, narcissistic life that is always about us. Let me tell you something. You know what the problem is with some of us? We're spoiled, rotten brats. That's the problem. We live our lives worried about our happiness and nobody else's. The reality is, Adrian Rogers said it, the problem in most marriages is this. He said, some people approach marriage like a tick on a dog. You ever seen a tick on a dog? They bleed it for everything they can get out of it. They're not asking how they can change. They want their spouse to change. If he had just acted different, I'd be different. She had just acted different, I'd be different. They approach it like a tick on a dog. And he said, the problem now is you got two ticks and no dog. They're trying to bleed each other. Let me tell you something. The key to marriage is these words, denying self. Key to marriage is putting your spouse first. Let me tell you, if you spend all your time trying to invest and pour into the life of your husband or your wife. Key to parenting is denying self. But the key to being a Christian is denying yourself. The Bible says that Jesus made himself nothing. Wow. I remember years ago, I was in New Orleans at the New Orleans um, Coliseum, the big Superdome. And the Southern Baptist Convention was at the Superdome. And uh, we were out looking at books, and of course this is tens of thousands of Southern Baptist messengers there. This is their once a year denominational gathering. And so, uh, so I, you know, I'm there, when all of a sudden this preacher, 
he, he's coming through, and I recognize him. He has a TV ministry. He's a very popular Southern Baptist preacher, has a, quite a big TV radio ministry. You know, he's kind of, the, he's kind of a, a big name. And he comes through there, and, and in front of him, behind him, are these big guys. They're all around him, you know. And uh, I'm sitting there thinking, first of all, I'm just a young guy, just a young preacher, just starting out. I thought, that's strange. Why would the man of God want a bodyguard if he's talking about faith and being secure in Christ? I said, that's kind of weird. And oh, he was something. Boy, you see him walking down through there, man. He had all these big, you know, big thuggy guys coming around there. And I thought, man, that, you know, it just rubbed me the wrong way. I never cared for him after that. So me and my buddy, we get it. We're in the nosebleed section of the Superdome. We're up there in the middle of no man's land because we ain't big enough for nothing as far as we ain't no, we're, we're nobodies. So we up there in the nosebleed section and we're just sitting there. I just almost have to act this out. We're just, we're just, we're just sitting there, you know, and I, I'll be honest with you, I'm so far up, I can hardly see these guys down there speaking. So I'm, we're just sitting up there and I'm bored. And, uh, you know, if you've ever been in the Superdome, you know what the nosebleed section is. You can hardly see anything going on down there. So I'm just sitting there, just doing this. I look like I'm in high school. Yeah, like this. And I hear the door behind me creak open. open. And about that time, I, uh, I sit up and turn around. You know who it is? It's Charles Stanley. Charles Stanley comes in. I slips down over next to me. Nods, how you doing? And hey, let me tell you. Charles Stanley preaches to over 75%, at that time, over 75% of the entire population of the United States. That's not counting the world. And I really wanted to laugh and say, hey, Charles, where are your bodyguards? You know one thing I love about Stanley? Stanley Stanley's a very humble, quiet man. Been beat up, beat up in marriage, gone through some real personal family issues. Stanley is a very humble, self-effacing, deny-self, quiet man who has time for people. Are you that kind of person? Do you live your life just denying yourself every day, getting up in the morning, just saying, Lord, I just want to be a servant, I want to be a slave. Lord, I want the attitude that you had. I just want to be able to pour my life into service to other people. Let me tell you, when you do that, let me tell you what will happen. There will be a fulfillment. There's a joy in you that nobody can take away. Let's stand. Our Heavenly Father, we just come to you, and Lord, we love you and we praise you. Lord, for some reason, maybe it's just me, maybe it's this time of the year as we get to Christmas, had such a powerful worship service, but Lord, it seems like preaching today has been a little bit tough. It may be me, Lord. Lord, I pray, though, that you take the words that have been spoken, the sermon that's been preached, and I pray, dear Lord, that somehow you would use it for your glory, your honor. I pray, dear Lord, for every man, woman, boy, and girl, young person in this room, that they would understand what it's like to so be filled with the Spirit of Jesus Christ, to so have the mind of Christ, that we begin to live our life in absolute service to everybody else. Lord, for marriages that are troubled, some of them, Lord, 
could be solved with just two people. No, not two people, just one. Maybe it begins with just one person saying, Lord, I want to be Christ Jesus in this marriage. Maybe a husband, maybe a wife, I just want to be the Lord in this marriage. It may be as a parent learning to just be that servant. May be children growing up that need to be taught an outward focused life. We can pick up, clean up, dote over, and Lord, we can we can create children that are so inward focused, spoiling them when we need to teach them how to be outward focused. How they need to learn to not only pick up after themselves, but learn to go the second mile. That they would do something, Lord, that would exemplify Christ in that home. Lord, there's some of us that work in offices, some of us in business, in the business world, and we need to begin to focus that life and bringing the kingdom and living out the kingdom in front of people. We need to have the mind of Christ, that servant heart. And Lord, may you teach us this time of the year, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So Lord, help us to be givers and not takers only. Lord, I pray, dear Lord, if there's one here that doesn't know you, they've never been saved. They've never given their life to you. Right now, they struggle with the direction of their life. They need to give their life to you and, and, and repent of their sin and receive you into their heart, into their life. Lord, I pray that they would do that today. And Lord, we'll give you all the glory in the name of Jesus. Amen.